Amen. Amen. You can be seated, guys. If you didn't get a handout yet, just an encouragement to grab one. You'll get much more uh, traction as far as being able to follow along with us. If you have the handout there, it's got the verses on it that we'll be looking at together this morning. Our 10th character quality that we want to look at this morning, again, foundational to learning to man up, is going to be the topic of humility. And I think, again, another major component, as others we've looked at together, to being able to build a stable and inspired course as men is understanding the importance of maintaining humility in our nature, and that is a battle, being humble. I think we all would recognize that. And humility, of course, by way of definition, is really described as a modest or a low view of one's importance. And let me say that again, a modest or low view of one's keyword, importance. Notice, I think one of the wrong ideas many times people have about humility or being humble is a lot of times people think of humility or being humble as a uh, kind of a a, a low view of self-deprecation where you're mocking yourself or putting yourself down and uh, we tend to kind of then uh, use self-criticism. But understand that humility is not a mindset of self-criticism where I think less of myself or less about myself, it's really thinking about myself less. That make difference there? You see the difference there? It's not so much per se having that attitude where you think less about yourself, it's just thinking about yourself less often, thinking about yourself way less than you typically would where we don't focus on ourselves or fixate on ourselves. A lot of times we can be guilty of, we often talk about false humility. Uh, And that can kind of be a tendency where sometimes, and perhaps you've seen this or done it, I know in raising three children all the way through to adulthood, we had a particular daughter who just was more prone to, she would put herself down, and whenever she would do that, I would correct her because I knew it wasn't a healthy habit, because a lot of times putting yourself down sometimes can be an indirect way of looking for a a, a pick-me-up. And sometimes putting yourself down is almost kind of fishing for a compliment in a backdoor way, uh, trying to get somebody to say something. And so that can be just as unhealthy. So again, it's, it's about not thinking of ourselves as special or better than other people, whereby we don't allow ourselves to ever be the center of attention. Uh, we don't allow ourselves to be the one who things are all about. And the reason is because we don't see ourselves as superior. We don't see ourselves as above others or special or different than others, if you would. We simply see ourselves on level ground, just like everyone else. And we will relate to people in light of that, either in humility or in pride. And if it's pride, we'll find that we think we deserve special rights or entitlements, and we'll talk more about that. But it's just that freedom of that attitude of pride and the natural arrogancy that can kind of creep its way into all of our lives and our attitudes at times. T.S. Eliot said this regarding humility. He said, humility is the most difficult of all virtues to achieve. Nothing dies harder than the desire to think well of oneself. And I think this is just a common struggle. I've often said before, perhaps even in these sessions, maybe I've alluded to it, that I think every guy has a pal, P-A-L, his pride, his arrogance, uh, his pride, his anger, excuse me, and his lust. And, and I don't know about you, but I have found that pal has been hanging out with me my whole life. And, and as much as I try and detach myself from him, try and get away from him, that pal just seems to stick around with me constantly and wants to influence me all the time. My pride, my anger, and my lust. And in some ways, I think pride being on the front end is very important because a lot of times it is our pride that can tend to be the driving thing in our anger, and in an indirect way, pride also tends to be the driving thing in lust because we think we're entitled, and therefore we don't control our sexual desires and appetites in appropriate ways, and one definitely drives the other. Now, the reason humility is so important is because it protects us from this hideous danger of pride. In fact, the very first time the word humble, which of course is the adjective that describes the condition of humility, the first time the word humble shows up in scripture, it's in the top of your notes there, it pictures the problem 
of human pride. And again, in Scripture, oftentimes when we study it, we talk about this one way of looking at the Word of God from the perspective of the law of first mention, which means the first time that we find a word appearing in the Word of God, it so often sets in the most appropriate way the context for how that word is to be understood going forward. And interestingly enough, the first time we find the word humble in Scripture, notice it's in your notes there, Exodus 10, verse 3, and it says, Thus says the Lord God to Pharaoh, How long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? So notice, God, who is the most important one, who is the most special one, God has to speak directly and strongly to Pharaoh, and if we know him for anything, the one who greatly hardened his heart and had great pride within his life, God speaks to him knowing that by nature he as well as we are grossly proud. Pharaoh was thinking of himself as way more important than what he really was. He had a greatly inflated view of his own self-importance, deserving. He thought he deserved whatever he wanted, however he wanted, and as a result, felt entitled to certain things, was very resistant to listening to others, kind of did what he wanted to do, and, and acted in ways that were very unhealthy. And God tries to challenge Pharaoh from thinking in this very wrong way about his own self. He challenged him, saying to Pharaoh, how long, how long are you going to do this? He says, how long will you refuse, he puts the responsibility upon him, Will you refuse to humble yourself? And notice God says, and here's the key to it, humble yourself before me. In other words, God's saying the very antidote to get over your own importance is recognizing in comparison to God, no one's important, right? I mean, in comparison to who God is as the almighty God, the perfect one, the special one, God asks this arrogant man, and really all of us as men prone to pride, what will it take for you to humble yourself before my greatness? All you got to do is look at me, and God says your superiority just became very, very diminished. And now you're very inferior. And God says that really in itself becomes the antidote of understanding how to conquer pride, to realize the truly important one is someone else other than me, so therefore there should be a degree of humility in my life. So again, God's asking Pharaoh and all of us for that matter as men to dethrone ourselves from that exalted place of thinking that we're special or important. To just have a proper estimation of ourselves. I guess one way we could think of that is in this manner, in a healthy, balanced way, yes, I'm valuable, but I'm not special. Yes, I'm valuable. I'm valuable because God puts value and worth upon my life as a good and loving father. And he tells us we're fearfully and wonderfully made. He cares about us. And yes, we are incredibly valuable. Every life is valuable to God. But there's a difference between knowing I'm valuable, but also understanding I'm not special. I'm not special. I'm just as equally valuable as every other human being, but I am also just as equally normalized, and I'm not so important that life needs to be about me and catering to my wishes over every other human being that is just as valuable around me. I'm just a common individual, equal to everyone else, like everyone else, and if we would say kind of down to earth in that matter, understanding that. And the reason, again, this is important, think of it, is because the downfall of the devil was what? Pride, right? The downfall of the devil himself was allowing pride, which is the opposite of humility, to pollute and misguide his thinking, to control his heart, and then it ultimately defiled his character and thinking and caused him to elevate himself, which led to his horrific downfall. He sought to exalt himself to a place of importance make life all about his desires and his will, and it led to the horrible downfall and the destructive fall of the devil. Pride was the very source of that, which wasted a beautiful opportunity, even as a created angel of God that he once possessed. And again, I put in your notes there, 1 Timothy 3, 6, spoken particularly to the re reality of leadership, which is men, we know we fall in that category. This was addressed to spiritual leaders particularly, but nonetheless, it's a great exhortation for all of us. First Timothy 3, 6 warns of being puffed up with pride and falling into that same condemnation as the devil. 
So God gives this pattern, the example of the devil, the picture of pride, and he says, look, by natural default, I know every human being, and the word of God teaches this, that we, every human being, are children of the devil from birth. That's what Jesus said. Jesus tells us, he says, you do the things that you do. He told the religious leaders, he said, because you're acting as of your father, the devil. And, and the Bible tells us in Ephesians 2 that we were all at one point children of wrath being directed and led by the course and the principality of this world under the spiritual influence of our spiritual father. Initially, we inherit the desires, the tendencies of the devil until we're born again, and then we become a legitimate child of God. We're a creation of God, every human being. That's why we're valuable. But you don't become a child of God until you're born of the Spirit and you're spiritually adopted into the family of God. So there's only two spiritual fathers a human being can have. And initially, starting out with the devil as our spiritual father, we will be inclined in our sinful nature toward pride. And so the writer, Paul, says here, listen, be careful that you don't allow yourself as a man, as a leader, as someone to be puffed up with pride and then fall into that same condemnation as the devil himself. You often been said well before, pride is the mother of all sins. And I think that's a very fitting statement, that pride many times is what gives birth to other sins because we think that we're important and because we think that we're important, that makes us think we deserve to behave this way, we're entitled to have this, we can abuse that role, we can take advantage of this, and it causes us to really, like a ruinous cancer, experience all kinds of unhealthy symptomatic effects of sin within us where the root of that giving birth to it is pride in our lives it sets us up for a major downfall proverbs 16 18 it's in your notes there says it this way pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall notice what precedes destruction what precedes a great fall in our lives the bible says is pride an absence of humility a lack of a humble spirit, that many a times is what causes the great downfall and destruction of a man. And look, how many times if we look at the fall of men, if we can look at a time in our life where maybe we fell flat on our face, if we were to be very honest, we could trace it back to that our heart was proud in a way, and that's what began to kind of drive us in a direction to make some of the bad decisions that we did. So again, lack of humility, yielding to operating in pride, it's what turned the devil from a beautiful, high-ranking angel with great opportunity into a vile demon that harms people. And that's the pattern that we want to avoid. It's what caused the devil to, from being a high-ranking angel to fall into the position of being a vile demon that harmed people, and the same pattern can kind of happen in our lives. It can be the very thing in our lives that causes us to have a great fall. Think about it. It's what caused King Saul in the Old Testament to end up falling greatly. It's what led King Saul in his pride to have a condition of mental instability where his own mind began to think incorrectly and he lost his role as a leader. And if you look throughout the Word of God, so often the root cause of people who fall in the Word of God, who fail, who don't finish well, so many times it's attached to pride. When we begin to get proud, it's that pathway towards failure. And if we think of some of the things that pride does in our lives symptomatically, a few of the things that come to my mind is that pride often makes us think that we're always right. Pride tends to cause us, when it's operating inside of our heart and mind, to think our view is correct and we're not willing to listen to the ideas of another. In fact, oftentimes when we're being proud, we're not interested in what others have to say. We don't even want to consider the mindset or the view of another person. Pride also can keep us from admitting that we're wrong. Pride is the thing that will keep you and I from owning our own mistakes when we genuinely have failed or we are proved wrong in some way. It's what keeps us from seeking change. And in our foolish male ego, it will be the thing that keeps you and I striving in some direction, staying in error, continuing to struggle, doing what's wrong, because our own pride and male ego causes us to refuse to admit that we're wrong, we need to change. 
Pride also manifests itself symptomatically, I think, at times by just kind of causing us as a man to, to become a little bit pushy. And sometimes when you see someone who's becoming a little bit like a bull in a china shop and they're just pushing and, and kind of striving and disregarding the feelings of others and disregarding consideration and, and kind of just striving to get their way and have their way, many times that's pride that's driving that. Because a person feels that they're entitled and so they're going to bring to pass what's on their mind to bring to pass and they don't care what kind of casualties they need to leave in the process. They will just keep driving forward. You know, pride also manifests itself symptomatically when we seek to kind of, in a sense, enjoy impressing other people. And pride will cause us as men to want to be admired or to have attention upon ourselves. And that could be that we're really great at doing something or, you know, kind of describing what we do in our life or our achievements or our success in career and even spiritual pride for that matter, wanting to look spiritual and appear that we're more spiritual and godly than what we really are. Pride is something that does cause us to seek admiration and just want to impress others. Abraham Lincoln said this. I thought it was a, a great quote. Every time I read it, it just kind of makes me you almost want to chuckle along with him. He says this, what kills a skunk is the publicity it gives to itself. I, I, I think it's so profound. <laughs> what kills the skunk is the publicity that it gives to itself. And how many times have we sadly seen someone in pride fall into this trap where they just begin to constantly be giving publicity to themselves and it ends up being the very thing that kills them. It ends up being the very thing that robs them and destroys them, that they love the limelight, they love the glory, they love the attention, and they become addicted to being the center of attention and wanting to impress people, and that becomes the very thing as that radiates from their life that leads to destroying their life. You know, pride will often make us act like many times as well that we're more capable than we really are. And sometimes pride manifests itself where we're refusing help or assistance from others because we don't want to indicate that we actually might need assistance. And it's kind of that independent attitude that goes to an extreme where we think that we're sufficient and capable to do it on our own, and so we overly decline assistance or help. And I think pride also at times makes us as well feel that we're entitled to do what we want, and when we find ourselves abusing rights and pushing past boundaries, many times that is pride that's the driving factor. And that's the reason why we want to rid ourselves from that ruling power of the pride of life. Zephaniah 2 tells us that we should actually seek humility. Seek humility. The idea is it's an ongoing thing, realizing I already got a problem with pride. <laughs> I got to keep seeking humility continually because my natural human inclination is going to cause me to be proud, so I want to stay healthy in spirit and safe from personal ruin. And if we think of humility and seeking humility, it's seeking the exact opposite of what I was just describing regarding the symptoms of pride. Humility, does it not? Humility accepts at times, sometimes, I'm wrong, and other people are right. Humility is something that will give us that ability to admit our mistakes and even stand corrected and allow someone to point out that we're wrong, to indicate to us that we, in a sense, maybe were doing things a wrong way or had a wrong attitude or mindset, and humility will enable us to set aside our own ego and to seek the right solution in the situation and to want what's right rather than just being right. And sometimes that is a real beautiful benefit of humility. It helps us to overcome in that way. Humility involves being open to learn from others, the exact opposite of pride, to receive guidance and direction. It's humility that makes us have a teachable spirit and realizes there are others that know more about this topic or this situation or that circumstance or how to do this or how to fix that or how to handle that. And it's humility that gives us that heart to be open to learning and receive direction from others. It's humility that knows our own limits as well, where we appreciate the help of another at a time and will gladly welcome, even if it means kind of swallowing our pride, the assistance of another person. It's humility that causes us to be servant-hearted and not seek to as well impress other people. 
It's when humility begins to work in our life that, that it helps us not to draw attention to ourselves. It helps us to quietly do what's right and to do what's right without needing, like the Pharisees, to blow the horn before we do some good thing. And boy, we all have a tendency, and look, even in spiritual life, man, this is a very subtle way that at times we can be proud and we lack humility, is that we behave in certain ways and even do good deeds or righteous things or spiritual things, but we do them in a way where whether we want to admit it openly or not, at times we're doing it in a way because we're hoping someone will see us. We grab a broom because we're hoping someone will see us brooming while we're brooming as well. Or whatever. I mean, we, we, we do this thing, or we talk in this way, or we pray in that manner, and, and there's something insidious within me and you, <laughs> where even sometimes the good thing we're doing, we're not doing it just per se because it's good. We're doing it in a manner, indirectly, where in a secondary sense, we're also hoping somebody takes notice what we're doing. And that's the absence of humility in our lives. Humility will do what is right, and it does not care that anybody is looking because it's thankful that God is watching. And so we quietly do what's right in a spirit of humility, not looking for applause, not looking for attention or admiration. I put in your notes there, Proverbs 11.2, it says, when pride comes, then comes shame, but with the humble is wisdom. In the next verse as well, Proverbs 29, a man's pride will bring him low, but the humble in spirit will retain honor. Notice the idea conveyed in those verses there. Pride, if left to rule in our spirit, the Bible says, will bring us low because it will cause you and I to do shameful things. It, it will prompt us to do things that will lead to our own embarrassment, yet when we seek humility, the verses say, that will give to us wisdom. It will help us to live well. When we seek humility, it will be the thing that helps us to act wisely and behave honorably and protect us from ruin. Jonathan Edwards said this, I quote, he says, nothing sets a person far out of the devil's reach as humility does. Nothing sets a person so far out of the devil's reach as humility does. And I don't know about you. I'd like to be as far as possible from the devil getting his hand upon my little life and getting me to do stupid things. And so God says, here's one of the ways you can do it. Move towards humility. Constantly seek humility. And the more you do that, the more you're putting out yourself outside of the devil's reach to get a hold of your life. James 4.10 and 1 Peter 5.6 convey a similar idea. They're in your notes there. Look at them together with me. James 4.10 tells us this. God instructs, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. In a very similar manner, Peter writes it this way, 1 Peter 5.6. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. Take notice in both of those verses, there is a degree of responsibility that the Holy Spirit puts upon us in regards to this. He says in James as well as in Peter, both of them writing this, both of them know that this was important, humble yourselves. One says in the sight of the Lord, the other says under the mighty hand of God. Again, what are we doing? We're humbling ourselves in relation to God, and that should never be hard to do. See, if we're trying to compare ourselves with others, that's always going to prompt us towards pride, especially as men, right? We're competitive. We're ego-driven. We always want to one-up somebody else, you know, juke somebody on the football field. We always want to defeat and beat and conquer. And, and, and when we compare ourselves and we interact with others, there's something within us in our natural male ego that drives us to always want to conquer and defeat others around us. But when you consider yourself in relationship to God, how wise is it to say, in comparison to God, I should really humble myself. <laughs> I should really recognize that, that I am a lot lower than what I think I truly am. But notice, he says, the benefit is that when we humble ourselves before the Lord, willing to yield to God's authority, look what God wants to do in your life. Now, it's almost as if this seems you know, paradoxical or like an oxymoron. You humble yourself, and he wants to lift you up, the Bible says. So God says, I want you to lower yourself because I want to lift you up. 
I want to exalt you, God says. I'm a good father. I want to see you do well. I want what's best for you. And he will lift us up in a proper way, the Bible says, and in a proper time when we are properly in a right heart attitude to be able to handle that in a healthy way. And sometimes in our lives, there can be times when, in a sense, God is not able to lift us up in a way or to exalt us or to promote us or to take us a step higher or however you want to look at that because part of the problem is we wouldn't be able to handle it. And God doesn't want to see us be ruined. God doesn't want to see us harmed. God doesn't want to see us fall. He takes no delight in us becoming you know, like the devil falling into that same condemnation and crash or like Saul in the Old Testament, God doesn't want that to happen. So sometimes God in his graciousness as a loving father being more wise will say, until I see you willing to humble yourself and take the path of humility, I can't lift you up yet. God says, I want to lift you up. It is the hard intention. And how wonderful to know that when we recognize the way up is actually down. It's not seeking to be great It's not trying to press ourselves forward, but knowing we're small and that our God is great. And as we humble ourselves before God, he wants to build you up. God wants to lift you up to higher things. God wants to take you to higher levels and, and promote and to exalt you and bless you and give you greater things. But the process is we have to have a humble spirit to be able to handle that properly, God would say to us. Again, another great quote. This one comes from Martin Luther. Martin Luther said this, God created the world out of nothing. And as long as we are nothing, God can make something out of us. God created the world out of nothing, he says. As long as we are nothing, then God can make something out of us. Again, in a very similar section of verses, the Bible repeats same refrain, repetition for important emphasis, 1 Peter 5, 5 and James 4, 6. It's in your notes there next. It says this, likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Again, that's the humility of a younger generation, reverencing, appreciating the wisdom, the, uh, you know, the, the establishment of the older generation, the more mature, receiving from them. Yes, then he says, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility, which guess what that also means? That also means sometimes an older generation, that also means sometimes a leader, if they have a proper heart of humility, can even at times submit themselves to a younger person. That someone who's a leader doesn't have to arrogantly say, listen to me, you whippersnapper, you little green behind the ears. That an older person in humility can say, you know what? Maybe there's a time that this younger person has a good idea, or maybe I let them take the lead and, and let them practice you know, giving some guidance and direction, and I can become the servant and let them be the director and so forth. And again, that's that willingness to clothe ourselves with humility. He says, verse Peter 5, 5, for God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Now, here's our repeated refrain. James 4, 6 says the exact same thing. God states it repetitiously. God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Now, I just want to say that repeated refrain in the word of God is not there by accident. As I've said before, it's not like God can't think of something new to say. He's a God of all knowledge, a God of all wisdom. It's not like God can't think of something important additionally to say. So if God repeats himself, it's for emphasis, God's indicating this is important, and here is one of the places in the Word of God, the Holy Spirit, through two different writers, repetitiously states the same thing, and it is this, because it's a guidepost for life, guys. God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. That important spiritual truth tells you and I that we can determine actually how God relates to us. We can actually determine that. He says that God resists the proud. In other words, when my heart is proud or I'm acting in a a way where my pride is what's driving me or my behavior or my attitude, the Bible says that when I am proud, that God not only won't help me, he says, but God will actually oppose me. God will resist me. The image I have in my mind is, you know, like... uh, one of us as an adult man having a two-year-old come charging at you 
and they are burning up a dust cloud, and you're going, see how long that works. And you just got your hand on their forehead, and they may strive as hard as they can, but you're completely just, you can resist them very easily. And God says, Tony, whenever you're proud, I'm not only not going to help you, son, I'm actually going to resist what you're doing. I'm actually going to oppose you while your attitude stays proud. Why? Because he's doing it in our best interest. He doesn't want us to cross a line where we completely go off the cliff and destroy ourselves. So we actually work in resistance to us. Now he goes on to say, but the contrast of that, God gives grace, favor, help, kind assistance to the humble. In other words, if I can illustrate, when I'm proud, God puts his hand on my little forehead and I can strive and run as hard as I can and God will resist me. But when I finally become humble before the Lord, then he just flips his hand around. And he says, now I want to offer you all the grace that I have from the throne of God. Now I'm going to give you all kinds of grace in your weakness, in your lack, in your inferiority. And how wonderful to know that God is willing and wants to give us grace and to help us. And all he's looking for is my heart condition to be right. And how wonderful to know that if I'm willing to be humble before the Lord, he wants to give us grace to help us in all these different areas of our life where we need his grace. And I don't know about you. First of all, I don't want God opposing me. <laughs> There's enough things in my life I feel like are, are opposing me and it's a battle uphill. I don't want God resisting me. I don't want God himself opposing me. And I surely want God to help me. I surely need God's grace in my life as you do for all the different things that I'm called to do. So look, let me say that phrase, guys, God resists the proud, gives grace to the humble, that's a great guidepost for life. It's a good Bible memory verse to always keep yourself in check, to always remember in every situation. I look at that verse, I utilize part of that verse in my parenting. That was part of the way I parented my children. If I felt like they were being proud, resistant, stubborn, in a sense, bucking against my authority, they got nothing but resistance. And I told them that. <laughs> it, it, your heart's proud. So as long as you're going to be proud, stubborn, and resistant, then guess what you're going to get? You are going to get nothing but me opposing you and resisting you. When you have a broken spirit, when you're humble, when you recognize my God-given authority as your parent, and you're humble and receptive, th th I, I want to bless your socks off. I want to do all kinds of good things in your life to benefit you and to help you. Proverbs 18.12 says, Before destruction... The heart of man is haughty, and before honor is humility. Notice again, before, before. Before destruction, the heart usually is proud, God says. And before honor can come, it's necessary to take the pathway of humility. So if we want to be honored, if we want to be promoted, respected, have a place of honor, be honored in some way in our life, God says the way to pursue that pathway of honor before you can reach the pathway of honor, there must be the willingness to journey down the road of humility. It's often been said before as we think of the life of Jesus as a pattern, until we bear the cross, we're not really ready to inherit the crown. And so sometimes there must be that willingness to embrace and to bear the cross so that God can prepare us to inherit the crown. Proverbs 22.4 says, By humility and fear of the Lord are riches and honor and life. So notice, riches and honor and life. The idea is great reward can be the gradual blessing that God bestows upon my life as I live humbly in his sight. Now, what does true humility look like in action? Well, I think the obvious answer to that is the greatest display of true humility in the life of a man is the Lord Jesus. Can we agree Jesus was special? <laughs> Jesus was the most important human being who ever graced planet Earth, yet the most important human being, the most important man who ever lived, pursued and maintained humility as the pattern of his life. Philippians 2 teaches us that. Look at it with me, if you would. Philippians 2, verse 5 to 11 says it this way. In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. So he says, when you're relating to each other as human beings, have the same mental outlook that Jesus did as a man, the perfect man, as he related to other people. And what was the mindset of Jesus Christ as a man? Who being in very nature God, pretty important, 
He did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death. And then the Bible emphasizes even the death of a cross because that was the most excruciating form of death. And it was the most, listen, humiliating form of death. Beaten, stripped naked, hung publicly, exposed to people around you as a beaten, naked, wounded man in a patriarchal culture hanging there upon a cross looking utterly defeated. He embraced such, it says, but because he humbled himself, becoming obedient to death, dying to himself, even the death of a cross, what did God do? Exactly what the Bible principle we've talked about does. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him, that is the name above every name, that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And what does the Bible say is it points to that beautiful picture of the life of Jesus? That's the pattern. The Bible says there's the pattern. Do you want a pattern how to live your life as a man? Embrace the pattern of Jesus. Do you want a pattern how to relate to other people? Embrace the mindset of Jesus, God says. And he gives us that beautiful example of what true humility really looks like in the life of Christ. A few other passages I put in your notes here just to kind of reference them together briefly. Luke 14, verses 7 through 11, Jesus speaks about the subject of humility. Here we get Jesus' teaching on the topic. It says, Luke 14, there in your notes, now Jesus told a parable to those who were invited to a, a special dinner. When he noticed, look at this, when he noticed how they chose the places of honor. So they came in, it's a dinner, and Jesus takes notice. Boy, isn't that interesting? Everyone that comes in tends to always go after the place of honor first, the, the best seat where people were recognized and certain seats indicated that you were a more special person, depending upon where you sat. In the culture, it would indicate your rank and your status, and they knew that. So they would try and position themselves in the spot where it looked like they were someone special, where it gave the impression that they were important or had a title or had a role. And he noticed that they were doing this. Here's Jesus teaching on the subject, Luke 14. When you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in the place of honor. Lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him, and he who invited you both comes and says to you, give your place to this person. Then you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, Jesus recommends, here's the better approach, when you're invited, go and sit in the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table with you. Jesus' culmination, the point of this, verse, last verse, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. Again, there's a promise of Jesus. Whoever exalts himself, Jesus promises, will be humbled. But if we humble ourselves, that is the pathway to ultimately experiencing exaltation. Now, another point I would make in connection to humility is this, and I think the next two passages describe this, is that humility should bring in our life an attitude of servanthood. Humility is very closely connected to a servant-hearted attitude. When someone's spirit is humble, one of the clear characterizing marks of that, one of the obvious symptoms of humility operating in a person's life is it will bring servanthood as a lifestyle. You'll begin to see this. Look what Jesus tells us in Mark 10. Jesus called the disciples to himself, and he said this to his followers. Mark 10, verse 42 to 45. You know how those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles, they lord it over them. That is, they strongly exercise their authority. They make sure everybody knows who the person in charge is. They make sure it's very clear who the top leader is. You know, I'm going to say something, since I have the freedom to do it, it'll probably get me in trouble, but it's honest and it bugs me. 
It makes me want to puke when I see week after week after week after week as routine thing churches who when the person steps into the podium, the first thing they do is say, hi, my name is Bob so-and-so. I'm the lead pastor here. At... Who cares? Why do you got to tell us that every week? Why is it necessary to draw attention to that? For all I know, you can be a donkey. God can still speak through you. Just get up and do your job. Obviously, if you're in the pulpit, somebody allowed you to be there. But again, what, what is this, this need to say our name and then draw attention to our title? And again, I point that out because this is in Christian circles. This isn't the world. And Jesus is talking about the world. And he says, you know how it is out there in the world, right? We've all, we, we've worked jobs. I've been in the secular employment realm. You have as well. And, and that boss who loves to let everybody know that they're the boss, and, and, and they just, they love to make, and they just have that way in the way they behave or, you know, the things that they'll say or do. They, they love to kind of lure their authority over people or whatever it may be. And you think, man, you must have got like bullied when you were in junior high, man. Because there's almost this love of authority and just the way that, and Jesus says, that's the way the world operates. But look what he says. Their great ones exercise authority, yet, look what Jesus says, yet it shall not be so among you. But whoever desires to become great among you shall be your servant. Whoever desires to be first shall be the slave of all. So Jesus says, if you really want to be great, he says the way to be great is not up, it's down. Greatness is achieved by trying to become a greater servant and to serve more people. And he says, if you want to continue to progress in greatness, he says the way to be promoted in greatness is to go from being a servant to being a slave. Man, I feel like they treat me like a slave. I feel like my wife treats me like a slave. Why does that bother you? You and I are called to be servants, aren't we? <laughs> We're called to be the servant of all. We're called to be leaders. And the Bible teaches servanthood leadership. Again, what does Jesus say? Look how he culminates this teaching. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus takes himself as the example, and again, he's emphasizing even the Son of Man, meaning reminding us he was God. If anybody deserved to be served, could we fairly say it was Jesus? If anybody deserved to be served, he was pretty important. <laughs> he was pretty special. It's not like he was taking that to himself. He really genuinely was. But he said, when I came as a man into this world, I did not come to be served. Jesus was not looking to be served. He was not living in a way where he was expecting people to serve him, to cater to him, to give him special perks and, and special rights and, and treat him well. Jesus said, I didn't come looking to be served. I came with the intention to serve. I was always trying to serve. You know, oftentimes when I'm doing premarital counseling, I draw attention to this verse to try and help couples and particularly husbands to realize, look, that's the mindset you should enter into marriage in. Too many times people enter into marriage and they become miserable because they enter into marriage thinking, oh, great, I'm getting a spouse. Therefore, they can do this for me or they can do that. And, and we enter in really kind of selfishly in our mindset thinking, finally, someone did. And Jesus says, don't enter in trying to be served. Enter in looking for ways to serve. Try and be a servant. Be that person who's the first to get up and serve and seek to serve instead of waiting for others to be served. Now, in connection to Jesus' teaching shows you our Lord is not a hypocrite. I put that lengthy passage, John 13, in our notes because guess what that is? That is Jesus' greatest demonstration, not only of humility and servanthood, but it's the greatest demonstration that Jesus meant what he said when he said even the Son of Man didn't come to be served, but to serve. Because in John 13, we know the story. There's the feast of Passover at hand, and Jesus knew that he was about to leave this earth and go back to heaven. And he's sitting together with the disciples, and it was customary that feet would be washed as a way to refresh the guests. And typically, the lowest-ranking servant in the household would have the duty to wash feet. Now, again, understand, you're talking about a culture that's, you know, Mideastern climate, dirty, dusty roads, hot, sweaty, not good plumbing. You're wearing sandals when you're walking around. So people's feet got pretty gross, pretty disgusting. 
So it was customary to refresh your guests when they came in to wash their feet, to wash the filth and the dirt and the, you know, the, the dust and even just the, the gross things that got on people's, and you would wash their feet. But it wasn't a pleasant job. I don't care what culture in it, it's still not a pleasant job. Even with socks and shoes, that's still pretty gross. And the lowest servant would typically do it. Well, they're having dinner that day, and Jesus, as well as the disciple, takes notice Nobody's washing feet. And no doubt, they're all looking around the room. You, you know, because they're just like us. They're looking around the room thinking, what kind of service is this place? Where is the foot washer? They can't hire a decent foot washer. We are having a meeting here with the top 12 on the planet. It is us and Jesus. Where in the world is the foot washer? What kind of operation are they running around here? And they're looking around, and they're wondering why no one is washing feet And supper being ended, it tells us Jesus, without blowing a horn, without saying, "Uh, I'd like everyone to take notice that you're about to see a true servant. Jesus quietly gets up. He realizes there's there's a situation that needs to be addressed. He realizes something needs to be taken care of, and nobody else wants to take care of it. Nobody else is willing to take care of it. They're all just walking past it, walking past it, walking past it, doing their thing. And Jesus realizes, okay, this needs to be addressed. No one else seems to be willing to do it. He just puts on the apron, he gets up, gets the basin of water, and he quietly starts washing all their feet. Now, do you know in that moment how embarrassed everybody's feeling in that moment? As Jesus is washing everyone's feet, he rose from supper, took the towel, and he begins to do such, and he's washing their feet. And ultimately, Peter, he's just like us, right? And what was it? It was Peter's own pride. He couldn't take it. And he thought, I'm not going to look like the most unspiritual dude in the bunch. So he says, Lord, are you washing my feet? Again, Peter's thinking, I don't want to look like I'm above foot washing, so I bet nobody else is saying it, so somebody better say it. So I think Peter, in his own pride, he wants to look, Lord, you shouldn't be washing our feet. What are you doing? Jesus says, if I don't wash your feet, you have no part with me. And, and, and Peter, of course, in that moment, recognizes that Jesus says to him, you you don't understand what I'm doing, Peter. None of you understand. The point was they weren't getting it yet. They were missing this whole concept of servanthood and humility. Look at verse 12 down in our verses. I, I have it toward the bottom. So when he had washed their feet, he sat down again, and then he began to instruct. Do you not know what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you say, well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet, for I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who sent greater than he who sent him. And then Jesus concluded, verse 17, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. So Jesus gives this beautiful example of love displayed through humility and servanthood. He takes the lowest task, the most unpleasant job, and he does the thing that no one else wanted to do. Everybody else probably was complaining about it. They were noticing it, but nobody wanted to do it. And Jesus, again, quietly gets up, perfect display of servanthood and humility. He quietly gets up, and he just starts doing it. He doesn't preach a sermon about it. He doesn't make sure people are, he just gets up and starts doing the right thing in an act of humility and servanthood. And at that moment, as they're humbled and they're realizing what's going on, Jesus then says to them, listen, none of you are willing to do this. If I'm willing to do this, you should be willing to do things like this as well. And then he went so far as to even say to them this reality Now that you know this, and I've given you this object lesson, Jesus says, do you want to have a blessed life? You see the last thing he says there? Now that you know these things, blessed are you if you do these things. In other words, he says, start doing stuff like this. Do you want to have a blessed life? Start displaying servanthood and humility. Start taking the lowest tasks. Start seeking to serve other people around you in a spirit of humility and see the blessing that it brings into your life. You know, Acts 28, I love there the picture, Paul and his team of a large group of, you know, workers and this whole boat full of people, they shipwreck on the island of Malta. 
And as they shipwreck on the island of Malta, everybody is wet and they're tired and they're cold. They just went through a horrible storm at sea. They're throwing everything overboard. They're barfing. They're, they're doing everything they can just to stay alive. The ship breaks apart. They roll up onto the shoreline. Everybody is depleted. They are tired, wet, and cold when they show up. And a fire gets started on the island, and you see Paul the Apostle, it says, going out picking up sticks for firewood. I love that again. Here's their leader, Paul. And what's Paul doing? Paul the Apostle, what's he doing? He's picking up firewood sticks. He's just out doing a simple task. He's not there saying, listen, well, how about I give a devotional, and Bob, why don't you go out and pick up some sticks? How about I do this, and, and I'll sit here, and you know, i got to stay warm. You don't want me to get sick because I'm an apostle. So how about you go take care of it? Paul's just, he's out doing what needs to be done. Again, that's the humility, the spirit of servanthood. And let me say this in conclusion. Our last verse there, Matthew eleven twenty nine. 29, look what Jesus says to us. Take my yoke upon you, learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. Let me say as a way to kind of drive this home as a final point in connection to this, the root of a plant always determines what springs forth. The root of a plant always determines what springs forth. I think one of the best things you and I can do is not try, listen, not try to be humble. Because a lot of times that'll just be my pride trying to look really humble. <laughs> one of the best things you and I can do, guys, is we need to become more rooted in a relationship with Jesus. Because if we get rooted in a relationship with Jesus, guess what the Spirit of God will do? He'll make us more like Jesus. He'll make us become more like Jesus. As we're rooted in him, the sap of the Spirit will cause us to become like Jesus, more gentle and humble in heart. By his Spirit and grace, we can become men who overcome pride and seek to live in humility. As we seek the Lord, exercising his meekness and humility, making you and I more like the perfect man, more like Jesus, humble and gentle in spirit. Let's stand together and let's pray, guys.